127 verse 1 except the Lord build the house they labor in vain that build it except the Lord keep the city the watchman waketh but in vain said at the very onset and I still believe it tonight if we build God's house he will build ours I'll take it a step further if we bless God's house then God will bless ours they are intrinsically connected. You can't separate your house. If you're, a, if you're a child of the king, you can't separate your house from his house. God's got a plan for your house. God's got a future for your house. God's got blessing available for your house. God's got more in store for your house. It may have been a great run so far, but here's what I know. God's got more in store for you. Our goal, our intention, our desire is that God helps us to build strong families because strong families build strong churches. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. I, I don't want life to be in vain. I don't want my labor, I don't want your labor, I don't want your effort to be in vain. So we are cooperatively working together to let God build the house. Take a look around. We're blessed with a wonderful worship sanctuary. Some great human engineering and endeavor and, and idea and all of that. But, but here's what we all know. That unless the Lord blesses this house, it's just another room. Unless the Holy Ghost sweeps in this place, then we just gathered for nothing. But if God will show up, if the Holy Ghost will move in this place, then we can see miracles happen. Then we can see a community impacted. We can see a city turn around. We can see revival, fire that God promised come if God builds the house. So our prayer tonight, would you pray it with us? God, would you build the house? God, we'll work with you. We'll labor alongside. God will do our part. But if we do our part, you promised that you would do your part. God, build something deep in the recesses of somebody's spirit that's going to sustain them. Build something deep in the foundation of somebody's soul that's going to edify them. God, build something in this room tonight that we can't take credit for. All we did was open our lives up and let you in and watch you work. God, we're praying tonight if the Lord build a house, unless you build it, God, we can't do anything. Unless you build it, it's not working worth anything unless you come God unless you sanction it with your presence it's not worth anything so we invite you Jesus move in this room we pray in your name we ask it someone say in Jesus name you can go ahead and be seated it was during the fall and the captivity of Judah you know the king his name is Nebuchadnezzar he destroyed Jerusalem and he put to death the high priest and the second priest. The Bible also tells us that the keepers, three keepers of the door, the threshold, he put to death. It was Sariah, the high priest, who he assassinated. He wanted the impact and the influence of the priesthood to be diminished and reduced. But what Nebuchadnezzar didn't realize was that they took Jehozadak, the son of Sariah, the high priest, into captivity, into Babylon. In the midst of great <clears throat> confrontation, in the midst of great 
oppression, God still had a plan for the priesthood. It would survive. God would still allow the lineage to continue. God would still allow his purpose and his plan to be fulfilled. God wasn't finished with Israel yet. He may have allowed them to come in to Babylonian captivity. He, he may have allowed them to experience that oppression, but he wasn't finished with them yet. And no wonder if you read back through scripture, you'll find, you'll find that Israel had opposed God. Israel didn't pull down the idolatrous ways that she, she had in her heart. She, she didn't tear down the idols and she didn't destroy the groves. She didn't destroy the temples that were erected and built to those false gods. She allowed them to exist and to continue. And so God just figured an ungodly people may as well have an ungodly oppression. And so he allowed them to go into Babylonian captivity. It was in this Babylonian captivity that that son of Sariah, Jehozadak, had a son named Joshua. No wonder they named him Joshua, no doubt, after the ancient deliverer who had brought Israel into the promised land. They were once again longing to be freed from oppression. They were once again longing to have an exodus out of that foreign land into the land that God had given to them. They needed a Joshua if they ever needed one before. They sure needed one now. And so Jehozadak names his son Joshua. He was in a land, foreign land, but he taught Joshua the ways of the priesthood. He was a priestly lineage, so he needed to know how to endeavor to accomplish the work of the priesthood. And it was just so that when the Babylonian captivity was ended, this Joshua returned to Israel. God had preserved the priestly line, just like he will preserve the church. Come oppression as you may, but God will still have a church. Come with whatever mandate you may, but God is still going to have a church. Devil fight as best as you can, but I've got this promise in the word that God is still going to have a church. I know, I, I know I'm know, i kind of stirring some emotional fire a little bit tonight, but you may as well get emotional about that. If there's something to rejoice about, it's the fact that at the end of time, this church is going to come forth tried like pure gold. God's got a promise yet to be released on the church. God's got that promise. They came back on purpose. The high priest Joshua took the lead along with Zerubbabel in setting up the altar. If you missed it this morning, well, we talked a little bit about altars. How if God is going to build the house, then our house is going to mirror his house. And God places great priorities on altars. God places a priority on the altar in your life. God, but you know what? If you have anything for your children before you get Nintendo, and be, that's how old now, isn't it? Before you get PS1, I don't even know what the most current is. Before you get Nintendo Switch, then make sure there's an altar in your home. Make sure your children are acquainted with the altar. Make sure your children know a little bit about the altar. Make sure, okay, let me back it up. 
make sure your children know a whole lot about the altar. That if we pray, God is faithful. That when we pray, God can. That if we'll just, come on, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Let me tell you what you're teaching. You're teaching your children the power of the altar in your home. You're letting your children know that when they fall, their failure isn't final. That there's an opportunity to come back to God. That's what an altar will teach the children in your home. Let, let me just go a little step further. The altar will remind you that it's not over when the devil says it's over it's just beginning because we've got an altar in our homes we all have got to have an altar a place of commitment a place of dedication a place of purpose and and Joshua came back on purpose he came back and he said that the Bible tells us that he built an altar then he continued on in the building of the temple he was encouraged by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Joshua stood by Zerubbabel in opposing the adversaries of the temple construction. Some of the elders among the returned Israelites had seen the glory of Solomon's temple. And they tended to view the rebuilt temple as nothing in comparison. I jotted in my notes this afternoon. You're always going to have those Job comforters. If Job's the oldest book in the Bible, it just serves as a notice that someone's always going to be there to let you down. You know, it does, it does boggle. It was encouraging to me to know that we aren't alone. It boggles my mind that while we're walking through some rough waters, people on the sidelines are hollering that we're going down. While we're waiting for the waters to part, the critics on the shoreline have the loudest voices. I have to remind myself sometimes it's just a few. I thank you, church family, for your support, for your encouragement. I thank you for being mindful that we aren't finished, that God's got more in store. So in the midst of all the condemnation that was coming Joshua's way, Joshua was reminded by those around him that God had a purpose and God had a plan. Haggai the prophet was sent to Zerubbabel and to that high priest Joshua. In Haggai chapter 2 and verse 2 it says, In the seventh month, in the one and twenty-one day, 21st day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the high priest. And to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? The word of God came through the prophet to the people that had their feet in the trenches, fighting this spiritual warfare with a reminder. There were some people that were on the sidelines, and all they could say is, It ain't as good as it used to be. Thank you for not being like that, CCC elders. But just in case a little bit of that attitude sneaks in, I just came with a reminder that God told Joshua in those old days what he's speaking to us in this day. 
It says, speak now to Zerubbabel, speak to Joshua. He said, who's left among you? Who, who saw the, the, this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is not your eyes in comparison as that of nothing? It's, it's not nothing. He said, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but let me just skip down to verse 7. And God continued to say, he said, I will shake off all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. God came with a word for for Joshua to remind him how this began was great. But that is less than wow, it's going to end. The latter shall be greater than the former. Let me just remind you, if God builds the house, then it's going to be a greater house. It's going to be a greater house. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. God's not finished with us yet. CCC, God's not finished with us yet, apostolic. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. Uh, I'll slip back to our point this morning. If we build the house then the latter house will be a lesser house. But if we labor with God, unless the Lord builds the house, if God builds the house, if God builds this house with us, then it's going to be a greater house than it's ever been. Now I know what it's like to look in rearview mirrors. So do you. I know what it's like to look back to the glory days. Senior camps and all-night prayer meetings. And if I'm not careful, sometimes I can begin to play this comparison game. I chat with John this morning. He said, you know, it used to be that when they talked about the elders, I was thinking of everybody else but me. But now it includes me. I said, we're both in that boat, brother. But if we're not careful... We can pick select incidents and isolated situations from the past 50 years and say, wow, wasn't it great? Wasn't that incredible? Oh, if you could just imagine with me, young people with all night prayer meetings. And I can forget that we've had that too. I can look through the lens of my perspective into my own history and I can begin to say wow it was so wonderful then but what happened now Bible college students I remember I remember uh, classes that just kind of broke out into prayer meetings I I remember classes where we spent the entire day on our faces crying out before God I remember that but let me tell you it isn't just in the past it's in the present and it's in the future I just want to remind CCC some of our greatest services that we've had where we've just been clinging to chandeliers and running aisles come on we've been rolling on the floor that that was some great days but God came with a reminder that was a lesser day than the greater day that God has in store come on if God builds a house it's going to be a greater house it's going to be a greater house 
the latter will be greater. But before God can build a great house, he does need to do a great work. You see, it was God that pulled back the curtain of the clouds for Zechariah so that he could see what was happening. That prophet for Joshua. Zechariah writes in chapter 3 and it said, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. God peeled back the veneer of the temporal so he could see the eternal realm. So he could see the supernatural realm. And when God did that, Zechariah saw Joshua, that high priest. That high priest that was standing in the face of intimidation. and That high priest that was standing in the face of great opposition. That high priest that was doing the best that he could. And all he could get was a bunch of crybabies wishing for what was. Instead of looking on into what could become. And not only did he have the opposition of the people working against him. Joshua had the enemy working against him. Zechariah saw Joshua standing there and he said that the high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan was right there at his right hand to resist him. From the beginning of time, Satan's role has always been the tempter and the accuser. He will entice you to fall and then loudly proclaim your failure. There's no easy ride for any of us. There's no friction-free option for anybody. Satan is always going to be working at your right hand. Satan's always going to be there with condemnation. He's always going to be there when conviction rises up to pull you back to God. He's there to condemn you, to push you away from God. He's there to remind you of everything wrong that you've done. He's there to let you know just in case you forgot. He's there to remind you about your activity that you didn't want anyone to know anything about, but he knows about it, so he's there to remind you. And he's there to remind God. Did you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Did you see how they acted? Did, did you, Satan's always going to be there to condemn you. Satan's always going to be there to accuse you. You might as well get used to it. You might as well just realize it's going to happen. But uh, that's not where the story ends because Zechariah continued on. He said that the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So we all have some past that we don't want broadcast. But God reminded the enemy, I came, you came to condemn. And you came, you came to just kind of accuse, but I came to rebuke you, Satan. You see, God, Satan's work has never changed in 4,000 years, but God's work hasn't changed either. And when Satan shows up with his list of accusations, God just says, hold on a minute. I've here, I'm here to rebuke you, Satan. I'm here to turn back the tide. I'm here to turn it around. I, I came here to remind that somebody that's standing in front of God and all of their sin has mounted up and they just want to turn around and walk home in defeat. But God said, hang on a minute, Satan, I've come to rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. And the Bible continues on. It said, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and he stood before the angel. There was nothing that Joshua could say in that moment, because the enemy was right. 
Joshua stood there and represented the people that he was the priest for. He stood there and he represented the wrong that they had done. He stood there before God and as the priest of those people, he, he had on him the weight of all of their sin and their wrongdoing. His garments that had once been pure, if you saw the priestly garments, they were incredible. Stones with names of the tribes of Israel engraved on them. The urim and the thummim placed inside the breastplate. The breastplate with, with the names of the children of Israel it was just an incredible view and a picture of what God was to his people. It was made with gold and finely, family wound cloths. It was just immaculate. It was perfect. And But that cloth, those garments that were perfect in their origin had become stained with the sin of the people. And now Joshua stood before God and he had nothing to say except he's right. What, what do I do now? What, what do I do? I'm before a holy God with the sins of an unholy people and I'm stuck in between and Satan's here to accuse but God showed up to silence Satan <laughs> we live in an unclean world second Timothy chapter 3 said this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come I would say have come Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. We live in an unclean world. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 it talks about the promise and the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we're living in a world that wants a Savior, but nobody wants to admit that they're lost. And nobody wants to admit that they're dirty. And that's not where the chapter stops. I, would, I, I wish it stopped right there. The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Exclamation mark. But Paul knew that when he was speaking to the church in Rome, there was more that they needed to know. He said, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliceness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignities, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parent, without understanding, covetous, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the mercy of God, they, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And just in case you thought Paul was finished with the chapter, go to verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. We've got to be so careful because we live in a world that is so full of sin. 
that if we're not careful, the reason we need God to work with us to build our homes and to build our families is because there is an all-out assault on your home. The reason why we need God to build the house, unless God builds a house. Come on, we're, we're in rough shape. We're in a terrible predicament. We're, we're in bad condition unless God builds this house with us. If you'd allow me, instead of releasing the tension, just to ratchet it up one more notch. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 said, This know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come. We already read it. We're in those last days. We don't need a church that declares to have a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. And no wonder Isaiah said, when he stood before God, woe is me, I'm, unclean. I'm undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We live, we live in that environment every single day. We live in that environment where the enemy has waged war against everything that God created. Everything that God has as good, the enemy has a counterfeit for it. Everything that God intends for us to become, the enemy kind of stands on the sideline with his cardboard sign and redirects traffic into the, the counterfeit that he's gotten. And, and that isn't what the church needs. That's not what you need. And that's not what your family needs. We need an apostolic act of God to move in our midst. We need Holy Ghost outpouring like never before. We need discernment to move and to direct. We need the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. We can't have, we can't afford a form of godliness without having the the power that lies in that holiness that God has called us to and God is calling us to that it was Zachariah he stood there before God what could he say what could Zachariah do right there with the sin of the nation of Israel right there to his right hand was the enemy that was reading the lips off of all the wrong that Israel had done he couldn't argue with it. There was no, come on, there was, there was no lawyer that could plead his case. He stood before a holy God and an enemy that was there to condemn him. He had walked in sin. You know, if you read, you'll find that Peter said that righteous Lot was vexed by the sin of the world that he lived in. We, we all know Lot to be the one that pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that Lot. But there must have been enough holiness left in Lot for Peter to call him righteous. But Lot, when he walked through Sodom daily, somehow he just got dirty. The dirt just kind of collected in his soul and in his spirit. And, and I would have to say in our day and in our age, you don't have to go very far to find something that opposes God. You don't have to look very hard to find something that is in direct contradiction to the word and the call of God that's on your life. You don't have to walk five steps to find an option to get detoured or distracted from the path that God has called you on. The enemy has perfected his art for 4,000, 6,000 years. And here we are in the end time. But we still have a promise of God bringing a greater hope. The latter house shall be greater than the former. 
I thank God for the former house. I thank God for preaching that's brought us this far. I, I, I was listening to Brother C.B. Dudley on YouTube just a little. Last week I was listening to him preach. And I was listening to some of our seasoned saints that have gone on to be with the Lord. Some of their sermons that are just kind of floating through the archive right now. And I look back with great admiration. And I look back with great excitement. Because I realize that if the, that was the former house, then God has promised that the latter house shall be greater than the former. And even though we've got to walk through a world where condemnation attaches itself to us, and failure sometimes seems to be inevitable, we get distracted because of all the wrongdoing. We live in a godless world. And it doesn't take long before sin lands. We, you ever... <laughs> You ever try and do some mechanic work in a white dress shirt? You know, I, I don't even donate my suits when they're done to the charity shops because they don't want them. I've mowed the lawn in my suit. I've, we've done plumbing here in our suits. We've painted walls in our suit. But sometimes walking through the world that God has challenged us to live with robes of white in, we get dirty. We get caught up. We get sideways. We lean against the wrong wall. And the robe of white that God intends for us to walk in gets dirty. The sin that does so easily beset us doesn't get laid, laid aside quick enough and we find ourselves slipping. And before long, we get dirty. Before long, transgression becomes a part of the robe that we've got to wear. We know it's supposed to be white. We know it's supposed to be pure. We want it to be. But somewhere we just slipped. Somewhere we, somewhere we, we rubbed up against the wrong thing. Somewhere we, we, we injected the wrong idea into our mind. And before long, it grew into something that it shouldn't have been. And now we stand before a holy God. And we've got the accuser of our brethren right before us. And what can we say? We did it. What have we got? What, what's our option? All we can just do is hang our head in shame. Tuck our tail between our legs. And turn around and head out. Unless God was the God that he said he was and says Satan I rebuke you we still got a God that rebukes we we got we got a God that still lets a precious crimson flow of blood come from Calvary to touch our lives and I'm glad that that isn't where the story stopped because if it was Joshua had to bear the brunt of the sin there with his dirty garments, he stood. But God wasn't finished yet. Yes, he had condemned the accuser of the brethren. But what about Joshua? He says that God answered and he spoke unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments. From him. You see, sometimes 
we don't know what to do with this. We don't know what our next step needs to be because, look, that's who we are. That's, that's our new identity. That, that's our failing. The enemy's accused that God's holiness has, has just kind of seared into our spirit. But God said, I'm not finished yet. He said, take away the filthy garments from him. Now, don't worry. I have another shirt on under here. But this is the God that we serve. See, that's what he said you could do. Now, Tony, you're in the room. I know my collar's untouched. That's the God that we serve right there. <laughs> because when the sin would mount up and condemn us, God says, hang on. Take away the filthy garment from him. He said, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. God gives us the opportunity that when we show up and we've got filthy garments and we've got sin that has attached itself to us and we've tried to walk through a world with our white wedding garment on and we just got a little bit of dirty. God said, hang on a minute. I see where you're at. I know where you are. I'm coming. Satan, you just shut up for a few minutes. We've come with a plan. We've come with a motive. I, I'm just going to change. I got to do a garment change. We got to it, it's just time to get rid of some of the dirty laundry that's in our spirits. It's time to get rid because some of you don't know what to do with it. You don't have to do anything with it. Give it to God and let him take it away. Give it to God and let him take it away. You see, God wants us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not okaying sin. I'm not justifying wrongdoing. I just know that we get dirty. And we have this promise because of what God is willing to do. We can come back to the music tonight. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, it said, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. God doesn't intend. God doesn't want to blot names out. God wants to write names in. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. He said that he might present it to himself. A glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. God intends for us to walk in white. And we can if we let God do that work in our lives. Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. 
clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that works like that. I wonder if you just pause for a moment because I can't help but feel that little bit of conviction because this is where somebody is tonight. It's not your shirt, it's mine. But you know what I'm talking about. And in the midst of all of this mess, God's promised that this generation is going to see the greatest revival that our world has ever known. And we are determined. We are focused like a laser on becoming a part of that revival. CCC, we're in that number. CCC, our names, we need our names written in that Lamb's Book of Life, but we need to let God work in our spirit. We need to let God work in our homes. It may be time to do the great, come on, the great purge. We love spring cleaning, but it may be time for a fall toss-out. It may be time to go through the media. It may be time to, come on, it may be time just to go through our minds and our activity. It may be, may be time to prioritize. It may, it may be time, come on, we, we need that. If, if God is at work with us in building this home, is there any activity that you don't want God to be a part of because you know it would condemn you and convict you? But to the overcomers, They'll be clothed in white. That means, <laughs> I love that word overcomer. It didn't mean that you just kind of slid into glory. It means that you had to fight your way to get there. It means that there were some things in the way along the way. But you came over. The obstacle wasn't more than you were. The challenge wasn't greater than the God that rested in your spirit. God had a plan for you to come over. So when the enemy came your way, God condemned him. But you kept on coming because you needed that robe of white. God promised he would give you. God's still at work rebuking. That verse went on. It said, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Some of you, you feel the flames. And you feel like this is the end. But God showed up tonight to let somebody know, I'm pulling you out of the fire. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? The enemy intended for you to burn. But God said, not yet. This one's mine. You know what you got to get in your spirit? Someone's going to wear white. It may as well be me. Someone's going to wear white. I'm going to be a part of that number. Someone's going to wear white. So I am going to live in such a way that I'm a part of that promise. You don't have an unreasonable God. You've got a God willing to reason with you. Isaiah 1.18, God said, he set court up. And if we were in court, we'd be condemned. God's a judge, but he says, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet. Though your sins have mounted up, piled up. 
Though your sins would condemn you. Though they're like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is giving us the promise today that he can wash every sin away. I, I don't know. We talked about the altar this morning. Let me tell you why. Because it's at the altar where the blood begins to flow. It's at the altar where God begins that work of cleansing and purifying your life. It's at the altar where God takes garments that look like this and turns them into garments that look like this. It's at the altar where God starts that process. And then we go to waters of baptism and we go down in a watery grave why because that old man dies because that old person gets left in there I got I got a good mind to pitch it right in I wasn't good at basketball either but though your sins be as scarlet that's God's promise. That's the power of baptism. Is that you can go down one way with all of that sin attached to you. But you rise to walk in newness of life. Because God is the cleansing, purifying, whitening God. They shall be white as snow. They shall be. Except the Lord, if you'd stand together with me. Except the Lord build a house they labor in vain that build it except the Lord keep the city the watchman waketh but yet in vain we need God to build our house and we need God to keep our city we need God to build our house but we need God to keep us to keep us purified, to keep us cleansed, to keep us, come on, that, that's, why, that's why we teach, that's, that's why it's important, that's why midweek Bible study is important, because it's more than just the inspiration and the excitement of Sunday, it's about learning how to walk so we don't get dirty, so we miss the pothole, so we don't fall in the hole, so we, so we don't get caught in the trap, that's, that's what Wednesday night's about, that's, let me tell you what Friday night corporate prayer is about, it's not about us gathering together and staring at the back of the chair that's in front of us, it's about us gathering together because prayer changes things. Prayer pushes back that enemy that so desires to destroy our lives. That's what prayer's about. Prayer's about us joining together, linking arm in arm, and pushing the kingdom of God forward. Sunday school classes so we can train children's youth ministries so that we can so that we can help families deal with some of the issues that our young people are dealing with. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know what it's like to walk in this world. How quick the enemy wants to make that garment of white dirty. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know what young couples have to walk through. You, you wouldn't know, but here's what I do know. God knows. I don't know. I get exposure because, uh, because of the, the people that we work with to get their lives cleaned up. That the greatest calling, the, the most incredible privilege is, is to, to work with God to allow that to happen in somebody's life. It's a great, but, 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 but this desire that we have to, to help our families grow and to strengthen is so that we can miss that whole mess altogether and be the people that God has called us to be. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's what God is calling us to become. And when we are, we become the greater house.
that God intends for us to be. I'll be honest, I've been a part of that crew that looked backwards. Looked backwards to old time Pentecost, song services that lasted more than two songs or three. It was like 10. You, you, you've heard a push, pray until something happens. Well, most of them it was sush, sing until something happens. We're, we're, we're chuckling in the office, Brandon and I were talking. I said, it, was a, it was like the piano player's worst nightmare because the song leader, there was no list. It's like, hey, do you know that one? I don't know, but I... F, G? Or it was turn to page 100 and turn to page 10, turn to page 50. And, and you just sang. You sang. You sang until somebody started shaking and quaking. Sometimes in the Holy Ghost and sometimes out of sheer protest. And then the sermons. I've been a little while tonight. But it was nothing compared to. They went on. That was like the other push. Preach until something happens. Just preach and preach and preach. Lessons on doctrine and prayer meetings. And all night long and powerful things in our past that brought us to where we are. But the best is yet to come. I got four amens. You see, the latter house, if God builds the house, if God takes care of the dirty laundry in our lives, what could God do with that kind of church? What, what could God do if somebody had your mind made up that when I leave this place, I and getting things straightened out. I am getting things in order. It's time to call. Come on, it's time. It's time to call the family together. At our house, we just called it a come to Jesus meeting. We all just came to Jesus. You need a come to Jesus meeting sometime because the world has open arms trying to bring everybody and everything their way. They're just trying to kind of, trying to mess things up and turn things upside down. But we need to come to Jesus, mean because if we just get to Jesus, what could Jesus do? He'd make us white. Someone say it with me. The best is yet to come. I'm looking forward to next Sunday. Pastor Matt will be preaching. We have single service Sunday next week. It's Thanksgiving. We want people to spend time with families, but that may be a great, well, don't wait that long for heaven's sake if you got big issues. But that may be a great time to say, God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. We want to commit to our family being the best that it possibly can be. We've all got dirty laundry. As a matter of fact, we just had washer and dryer installed in the office wing. So Sister Beverly didn't have to drag baptismal. Drag, that sounds like it's a burden. Take, 
She didn't have to take baptismal robes home. We just, we're just planning on great things. <laughs> so let me do the shout out. The, the shirt didn't make it in the baptismal tank, but you can. I promise we won't miss. But it may be that in this service tonight, you're saying, I got to get some things in order. And if you've never experienced baptism in Jesus' name, there's no delayed baptisms in the New Testament. That's your next step. Repent and be baptized. Turn from your wicked ways and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Because I'll tell you what happens. Man, I just felt that Holy Ghost help right there. And I'm just, I'm being that guy. I'm preaching until something happens. Because God is building the house. I want to build it with him tonight. If baptism's your next step, we're ready. The tank is warm. We have ropes. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the challenge that you've issued in our service tonight. God, our intention was to try and make this memorable, but I pray that you wouldn't let us miss the mark. God, I pray that you would wash hearts and lives. I pray that you would connect. God, connect the missing links in homes and in families. I, I ask that you would do a distinct work that you could take the credit for. I, God, we stand on the promise that you are the one that pushes the devil back and makes a way in the middle of no way for us to become your people, your children, a part of your home that you are building. As we leave this place tonight, God, I pray that you would commission us. God, commission us to our addresses. Commission us to our families. God, commission us to our children that are looking and needing us right now. I pray, God, that you would commission us, God, to those around us that don't know where to turn or what to do. I, I pray, God, that you would let us be that light. Let us be that church. God, I pray, and I, we, we receive the promise tonight that the latter house shall be greater than the former, but it won't be unless you build it with us. I worship you tonight, God. I give you great praise. And we ask these things in your precious name. I wonder if you would just, in closing, lift your hands together. Oh, come on, from the front to the back. I, I wonder if we could just... Everybody, everybody, everybody. Everybody. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Wash us, God. Cleanse us. Purify us. Make us. God, work in us and God, work through us. 
God, complete the work that you've begun.